And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. And welcome back from your Thanksgiving vacation. Your eatery, I guess, as it says. So... Feeding frenzy. Yes, but this means, of course, back to the gym, back on the mm -hmm. diet. So yeah. there you go. Got to, you know, fun's over. Leftovers. <laughs> exactly. No, those are gone. We <laughs> shipped everything. We had no leftovers this year. Really? Yeah, we had 22 people at our house, tons of food. Everything went home with everybody else. Well so, done. Yes, I did. We were very... You did very good yeah. this year. And so. you got rid of all that extra Tupperware, too. Exactly right. Mostly tinfoil. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, so, anyway, hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Welcome back, of course. Uh, first full week of trading since last week. Of course, last week, markets closed on Thursday, half a day on Friday. So, again, uh, the action last week, don't really put a lot of credence into it. Markets did rally, though, a bit. Um, we're back to the top of this little trading range that we've been in here lately. So just haven't really made a lot of progress over the last several weeks. But we are at back at resistance, back at that 200-day moving average, back to the downtrend line that's from the beginning of this year. So uh, it's really kind of a make-or-break moment for the markets over the next few weeks. Markets need to break above this 200-day moving average if we're gonna get you know, a further advance in the year end. Um, of course, other good news here also is that the 20-day moving average has crossed above the 50. It's now about to try to cross above uh, the 50-day moving average. So again, uh, there is some good positive action kind of going on underneath the markets. Uh, volume light last week, like I said, so be a little bit cautious. This morning, futures are pointing down a bit. Um, not surprising. Again, you know, had a nice rally last week, a little bit of profit taking right now. Won't be surprising. A big, a big set of drivers over the course of the next, you know, few weeks is going to be really the retail um, consumer. What's happening there? Uh, headlines out this morning that consumers spent a record $9.2 billion on Black Friday. So again, this is from Adobe. Every year, Adobe reports retail sales. I don't know where they get their numbers from. They're always wrong, but you know, uh, they just throw out these numbers like, yeah, was, uh, what was last year's nine billion, uh, 9.2, let's just throw a number out there. So anyway, consumers supposedly spent 2.3% more this year than they did last year. That sounds like good news, right? Retail sales up. Um, of course, retailers out there, you know, retail spenders out there, you know, spending money. That's what makes the economy go round. We like that. Here's the problem. All these numbers are nominal, right? They don't include inflation, as we've talked about before. Yes, retail sales were up over the weekend. Let's just assume Adobe is absolutely correct in their numbers. Retail, uh, consumers spent $9.2 billion in retail sales over the weekend, 2.3% higher than last year. That's great. Right? That's nominal, though. So now you subtract out 8% inflation, retail sales actually decline 5.7%. See, that's the, that's the other side of this. Uh, consumers are spending more, yes, but buying less stuff because of inflation. Uh, an interesting side note of this is that 78% of, uh, there was a 78% jump in the number of retail spending that was done on what we call these buy now, pay later plans. You remember back in the old days, uh, you used to go to JCPenney or Montgomery Wards, remember those days? 
and you do, and you, there was something you wanted, right? So you'd put it on layaway and you just make payments to the store. And that was kind of buy now, that was the, the early invention of buy now, pay later. The only problem was you didn't get to take it home with you. So you just pay it off at the store. They'd put it, you know, they'd put it in the back closet somewhere. You'd make your payments when it was paid off, then you'd get to take the item home. And that was the way layaway worked. Well, with buy now, pay later, what happens is, is you buy it now, you take it home today, and then you pay for it later, of course, with interest. And uh, there was a 78% jump in the number of people using buy now, pay later plans because they can't afford it today, but they needed to buy it for Christmas shopping, et cetera. So again, this is, these, are, these all suggest that the consumer is not nearly as strong as some of these headlines suggest. And particularly as we go into next year, this will become much more important as consumer spending makes up 70% of economic growth, economic growth. That's the important driver here for the economy. So again, uh, and, and where do earnings come from? Well, those come from economic activity. So if earnings are gonna slow down, if, if, the, if the economy is gonna slow down, earnings will slow down, and that's gonna be the consequence of this as we go forward. Again, stocks simply are trying to reprice in what economic growth and earnings are gonna be. And, and still today, earnings estimates are still very elevated relative to how, where they've been historically, and particularly going into a recession, stocks are still trying to price this in. Of course, every little uh, sell-off in the market keeps getting met with these rallies, which are nice, right? We get oversold, we get these rallies. The problem with that is that undermines the whole Fed uh, goal of slowing economic growth and reducing inflation. So every time these markets rally like this, the Fed then comes out, kind of knocks things down. Speaking of the Fed, couple of things coming up over the next couple of weeks. We're going to have an, another employment report, another CPI report before the Fed meets on the 14th of December. Uh, that's going to be the next Fed meeting where they're expected right now to hike rates by 50 basis points. The latest FOMC minutes kind of hint at that, but it also hinted at an additional rate increase next year. Was expected a 50 basis point hike in December, two 25 basis point hikes in 2023. Latest FOMC minutes kind of suggested a third rate hike in 2023, taking the terminal rate or, or the peak Fed funds rate up to, to five and a quarter percent. So um, really wasn't that dovish of an FOMC statement uh, this past week, but that's what helped spur that rally on Wednesday that we had going into the Thanksgiving holiday was these FOMC minutes being read a little bit more dovishly. We kind of went into this a bit more in this weekend's newsletter so if you get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, click on the newsletter link at the top, you get the latest newsletter. Um, in that, and, and something we'll talk about after the break, is this idea of no recession in 2023. Um, you know, we've talked about before that there's so many people expecting a recession. Is there a possibility we couldn't have one? And that's something we kind of explored in more depth in, the week, uh, in this newsletter this weekend. It's something we'll talk about this morning. But there's this idea that, you know, as long as the consumer hangs in there, then, you know, we're going to be fine. And the economy will just kind of keep growing and we'll just kind of grow through the slowdown in the economy. In other words, we'll have something akin to what we saw in 2012 where we had a manufacturing recession, but we didn't have a services recession. So the economy actually never went into a recession, even though the manufacturing index or manufacturing indexes in the manufacturing you know section of the economy was actually showing a lot of recessionary pressures but we never had one in the economy 
Of course, the Federal Reserve came out, did QE. We lifted the markets up. We were worried about a lot of things. Uh, and that kept the markets running at that time. But so the question as we get to 2023 is, could we see the same thing once again? A manufacturing style recession that really doesn't impact the larger economy as a whole because so much of the economy today is now driven by services, right? Uber, Lyft, Grubhub, et cetera, all these services that we pay for versus manufacturing. Could that be the case? We'll talk about that when we come back after the break. Again, we went to a lot of this in the newsletter this past weekend. It's at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. While you're there, since your questions and comments, I've been getting a lot of questions over the weekend. Uh, I answer them all, so be sure and send your questions if you have one, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back after the break. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. So welcome back to the show this morning. Talking a little bit about retail sales and of course uh, economic growth this is really kind of where the rubber meets the road so to speak um 40 uh retail sales make up about 40 percent of the personal consumption expenditures index now why is that important the reason that's important is that pce or the personal consumption index makes up about roughly it's like 68 percent, but let's just call it 70 percent of gdp right so a very large chunk of the GDP calculation comes from personal consumption expenditures. Now, the rest, of course, is government spending, business investment, net imports and exports. So even if you had a huge jump in net imports and exports or a big jump in government spending, as an example, that certainly helps GDP, right? But it's not going to keep the economy out of a recession. The, these other components are just not large enough to hold up the index as, or I should say, amid a big decline in personal consumption expenditures. So really, the, the economy comes down to consumption. We're a consumption-based economy, really no way around that. Now, you know, the interesting thing, of course, is that, you know, there's a, there's a focus, obviously, on 
economic growth and where we're heading into next year, because obviously that's a big driver, a big concern about earnings and earnings growth. As I said, you know, if you take a look at what markets have been doing this year, markets have been trying to price in this whole kind of reversion in the economy, right? So tighter monetary policy, higher interest rates, and stocks are down roughly about 14, 15% for the year. Now, given the massive run-up in asset prices in 2020, 2021, it's hard to suggest that markets have priced in normality by any stretch of the imagination, considering that markets were overvalued to start with in 2019, right? And so we're, we're well ahead of what earnings, et cetera, can be supported. Now, the one big benefit that's been holding up earnings for companies was this shutdown in the economy. We shut down the economy, laid off a bunch of workers, right? That really improved massively the profit margins for these companies. And, of course, now as, as the world opens back up again, we're hiring people, putting people back to work. Those margins are going to get uh, suppressed a bit next year. So earnings are going to slow down. But the belief by a large majority of people are is that we're going to have this very, very deep recession next year. And, and there's plenty of arguments to support that. But one thing that we talked about in this past weekend's newsletters is really two things in particular. One is, is that when everybody expects something to happen, historically something else tends to, to work out. And right now there's a large contingent of people betting on, or I should say a large contingent of people, absolutely certain we're going to have a very deep recession next year. And look, that's a, it's an easy case to make. I mean, um, you know, we, we made that case in the newsletter this weekend. Look, it's hard to imagine a situation where the economy does not fall into a pretty deep recession next year, given where interest rates are, given the fact that most of these uh, rate hikes from the Fed have not been factored into the economy. We've talked about all this on the show, right? So we, we've talked about all this. The problem, though, is, is that, again, as I said, everybody's expecting that recession. So when everybody expects something, everybody kind of prepares for that. So whatever it is that was overpriced, overvalued, extended, whatever, kind of gets worked out. You know, one thing that we saw this year was unprofitable companies really took a beating. So all that excess exuberance that was built into a lot of these new IPOs, new tech stocks, et cetera, back in 2020, 2021, whatever they were, when a lot of these companies were coming public, they had no earnings, had no revenue, they got run up in prices. Because everybody who's taking them was like, oh, it doesn't matter. They don't have any revenue now. This company's going to dominate the world. So we had that like tech, you know, dot com bubble 2.0 in 2020, 2021. A lot of those stocks are down 60, 70, 80%. So a lot of that excess exuberance that was built into these companies have gotten wrung out. So Goldman is suggesting that we'll have no recession next year. We'll have a slowdown next year, right? We might get down to about 1% growth next year in the economy, but we won't have a recession. And so the, the question we have to ask ourselves is, is are they out of consensus because they're wrong 
or are they out of consensus because they're starting to see something in the economy that everybody else is missing? And this is, this is the question you always have to ask yourself as an investor. You know, I get lots of emails from people like, oh, we're going to have a definite recession next year and it's going to be terrible and, you know, I'm going to be all in gold, right? So how do I buy more gold, right? It just, that's fine. But what if you're wrong? And this is the question we always have to ask ourselves is what if we're wrong? What do we do? How do we position ourselves in the markets in case what we think is an absolute certainty turns out not to be the case? Now, I'm not saying we're not going to have a recession because, again, when you look at the data, the fact that the Fed is tightening their balance sheet, the fact that all the rate hikes this year haven't really shown up in the economy yet. That's still coming. The market's only down 15% or so from the peak. Valuations are still high. There's, there's a lot of things, you know, earnings estimates are still way too elevated relative to where earnings growth should be. So all those things suggest a recessionary economy next year. But what if it doesn't happen? Right. And so these are the things that we have to at least think about as we build our portfolio, construct our portfolios, invest our capital. We have to think about these things because, again, it's, it's always, the, you know, what gets us is not being right. Obviously, if we're right, then we're great. But what gets us is when we're wrong. And there's been a lot of that this year. And we'll probably be a lot of it next year as well. You know, the one thing that well, we, we always have to pay attention to, again, is, is when we're looking at the data is to try to make sure that the data that we're looking at, we're not looking at it through a skewed lens. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's easy to happen. We get what's called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is where we only read or look at one certain set of data. And we don't look at anything else. So we assume that anything that doesn't agree with our opinion is wrong. And everything else is the only thing that matters. And we see this a lot in social media. You know, you take a lot of things over the last few years, COVID. As an example, everybody silos off in social media. So you've got the COVID camp over on this side, and you got the non-COVID camp on this side over here. And everybody in the non-COVID camp, they're only looking at one set of data that supports their view. Everybody in the COVID camp over here only looks at data that supports their, their side of the view. And so everybody just argues back and forth with their facts, but what they don't consider the facts from the other side. And this happens, and, this, and, this, and, and social media has just made this worse because what happens in social media is that we only follow the people or join the groups on social media that all agree with us. My opinion. Whatever my opinion is, that's the people I listen to. And so this is what's called confirmation bias. I only seek out information that confirms my view. So the problem we have in the markets is that 
I'm convinced that we're having a recession next year. So I only read data that suggests we're having a recession next year, which just further reinforces my conviction that I'm right. And I'm going to put my entire portfolio on this one bet that we're having a recession next year. The hard thing to do is, is to read opposing opinions and give them weight and say, okay, but what if I'm wrong? What if my view is incorrect? What are the possibilities? And we need to assign possibilities things. What if Brent over here is in the non-recession camp? And he says, look, economic growth is going to remain strong next year because the retailer has an amazing ability to just keep taking on more debt. It's a valid view. It wasn't his view, by the way. That's I'm just making this up. <coughs> it's a valid view. And he's, and he's right, because consumers do have an amazing ability to just take on more debt. I mean, look, credit card debt's at a record high. I can't get another credit card, so what do I do? I go out and I take on this buy now, pay later stuff. And when I run out of that, I'll figure out some other form of credit to take out. Consumers have a great way of doing that. But eventually that plays catch up. At some point, the bill comes due and that's going to be paid for. But does that have to be next year? Could it be 2024 that maybe we have the recession? But see, I'm not saying, and I'm not saying that whatever your view is, it's wrong. I'm not saying that at all. Again, I find it very hard to find data that doesn't support a recession for next year. But we have to consider it. We come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit more about retail sales. I'll tell you something that happened over the weekend with me. I just think it's interesting from how we're generating these retail sales. We'll be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com in 1999 a para group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients best interest these men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the houston energy corridor today still excoriated by their former employers they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. So talking a little bit about retail sales. So let's talk about some numbers here real quick. Nine billion in sales. That was in 20, I got my years right, 2020. 8.9 billion in 2021. 
9.2 billion in 2022. Now, think about that for a second. 9 billion, 8.9, 9.2. Now, these are all guesstimates, right? So, when you're talking about 9 billion dollars, $100,000 here or there, you know, 100 million dollars, sorry. Here and there is easy, easy kind of, you know, it's kind of uh, rounding errors in a lot of cases. So, you know, nine, eight, nine, 8.9, 9.1, 9.2, whatever. It's, it's all kind of in the same area. The point is, is retail sales haven't really grown to any great degree in three years. And this is despite a record surge of $5 trillion worth of liquidity thrown into the markets over the last couple of years. But there's a difference. As I said, you know, going from 8.9 to 9.2 billion sounds like a lot of money, but that's nominal retail sales. So if you think about that jump, a 2.3% jump in retail sales this year sounds fantastic, right? Retail sales up 2.3% over last year. See, the consumers just hanging in there. They're doing awesome. Good job, consumers. As I said, you got to factor in inflation. Inflation 7.7, just call it 8%, right? So all of a sudden, that 2.3% increase is actually a 5.3% decline on a real basis. In other words, consumers spending more, buying less. And I think that's going to be kind of the thing that we're going to realize here in the next few weeks. But it was an interesting, uh, some, I have the unfortunate situation of having Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, Valentine's Day, and my wife's birthday is on December the 1st. So I get just smacked on spending this time. I, I save up all year just for this three months of the year because it just kills me financially. But I did, a but you know, th this weekend um, is pretty outside. My wife and I went and had lunch at, um, little restaurant set outside enjoyed the weather it's very very pretty and we were talking about her birthday coming up and she wanted you know something for her birthday and of course and and I said look I really don't know what she gets you the problem with you my wife has lots of problems I tell her what her problems are all the time I said my problem with you is that you make good money at your job and so you tend to have this habit of buying whatever you want whenever you want and I'm okay with that right I'm, I'm completely fine with her she's very independent she makes very good money she does what she wants to do and I just kind of sit back and laugh um, so the problem becomes though is that it's hard to buy for because she's pretty much already bought what she wants and I, I said what I said what can you know what do you want for your birthday that you really need she goes you know what I really need I need some workout clothes so she and I just uh, so she and I work out all the time, and we've kind of gotten bored lately with what we're doing, and she travels a lot, and so we went and joined Orange Theory Fitness, which is right by our house, and it's a great break from our normal workout routines, right? So it's just, it's a lot of fun. We go there together. It's, it's a great time for us to spend together. Um, real, we're both competitive, so we, you know, we, we try to outdo each other in class, and it, it's a lot of fun for us. Maybe not for you, but for us, it's, we're weird. It's fun. So, you know, but so we go do this together and then we'll, you know, do this. Anyway, she says, I need some new workout clothes. I'm like, fine, no problem. We'll go get you some new workout clothes. I said, where do you want to go? She goes, Athleta. And as soon as she said that, I was just like, oh, crap. 
If you don't know what Athleta is, it's a dumbed-down version of Lululemon price-wise, right? So very expensive, but they make decent clothes. And I'm like, sure, babe, whatever you want, we'll go to Athleta, and you just have a little shopping spree. Now, here's the point I'm getting to, right? So we take her shopping, and she gets like five, four outfits. We go up to the counter, and she goes to ring out, and the tab, I'm not lying to you, was $700. And I'm like, holy crap. Um, Wasn't prepared for that at all. So, you know, because the problem when I go shopping with her, I'm like, you go shop. I'm going to sit over here in the husband section, which is the chair by the checkout counter. So I'll sit over there and let her shop. And anyway, so she brings up here and so like $700. I'm like, okay, this this is not good, but we, we can get this done. And so the lady behind the counter, she says, well, I'll tell you what. She goes, if you take out an athletic credit card, you can have 50% off on your purchase. Now, it doesn't take me a long time to do math. I'm like, okay, I take out a credit card. You put it on the credit card. I pay the credit card off. I close the credit card. And I save 50% on this purchase. I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And here's my point about that. So I did this, right? To, I, and this is the only, now I, I now have a credit card. I don't have, I don't normally have credit cards. I now have a credit card, which will be closed very quickly. But here's the interesting thing about this, right? The re, and, and this is the point I want to get across to you. The retail sale that was made was $700. When it is calculated that retail sales are being spent, my retail sale of $700 on Black Friday is in that is in that mix. I didn't spend $700. I spent three after the whole and I got some other discounts because of the purchase blah blah blah. There were some other discounts in the store, 20% off this, 20% off that whatever. It wound up to like 320 bucks. Right? I'm like, "Cool. I'm good with this." I'll get the credit card in the mail. I'll pay off the 320 bucks, done, close the account. But the retail sale is $700 and change. That's what's going to be reported on all these numbers. But these discounts like this are occurring everywhere. Everybody is cutting prices to get things moved. And, and here's the other big, and this is when we walked out of the store, I looked at my wife, I go, I have a question for you. I said, I know you like this store and I know you like their and, and, and you like their clothes and things. And I said, but answer me a question. If they can sell their clothes at 50% off plus another 20% off, so basically we got you know 60, 70% off on the purchases, right? What's the real value of the clothes that you're buying? I mean, because because like for me, my workout clothes, I go to like Target and I buy them. I haven't bought workout clothes in like eight years. Right. I'm still wearing the same shorts, shirt stuff like eight years ago, you know, and, and those were an upgrade from the from the little run, the, the shorts they used to wear back in the 70s, you know, with the piping around the side. Yeah, that was what I had for like the 20 years to work out in before that. I just don't spend money on clothes, period. Not my thing. And if I do spend money on clothes, it's not going to be a lot. <laughs> but. The point here is, is that. There is a lot of this that is going on. So when you look at these retail sales numbers be reported, remember what's being reported. 
the actual ring up price and the actual cash price can be very two very different things. What shows up at the on the earnings statement is the cash price. So before so my point is is before you go running out here to go buy, you know, shares of some company because retail sales sound like they're really killing it this season, you got to be careful with the numbers. What's getting reported and what shows up on the bottom line of earnings statements will be two very different things. Headline here from uh, CNN Business this morning. Adobe said that shoppers spent a record $5.29 billion on Thanksgiving Day, up 2.9% from a year ago. Holiday shopping, and again, you got numbers all over the place, right? So just don't, don't take one report over another. But here's the important sentence here. Holiday shopping season looks much different than it once did. Instead of doorbuster deals on Black Friday, retailers began their holiday sales in early, in, in early fall. Amazon held a second Prime Day in October this year. Walmart, Target, and others held competing savings events. Here's the, here's the point, point about this also. When we report these Black Friday sales... It's no longer, we used to have it on Black Friday, right? So Black, nobody was open on Thursday, Thanksgiving Day. Stores would open early on Black Friday and be open. They're no, actually, it used to be they used to open normal hours on, on Black Friday. And that's what, and we counted that, that eight hours or whatever it was for the store. That was the retail sales number. And so stores started going, well, if I stay open a little bit longer, stay open a little bit later, open a little earlier. You know, I can get more sales in on this one day. And so stores stated, started staying open longer and longer on Black Friday. And then they started going, well, you know, if we could open up on Thursday and get Friday, now we can really boost our Black Friday sales. So we counted Thursday and Friday as one day, right? This year, we actually started Black Friday back in October. So again, you got to take, and, and the point about all this is, and, and before we get to the break here, you've got to take all these retail sales numbers, take them with a grain of salt, and then don't forget you have to subtract that inflation. Inflation is running 7.7% right now. So you have to subtract that inflation from the retail sales numbers to get to what actually is going on. All right, be right back after the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. 
headline, New York City landlords may no longer be allowed to do criminal background checks on renters. That's from Eric Adams, New York. Sounds like a great idea. What could possibly go wrong with that? Yeah. Have no, <laughs> completely fine. My neighbor is what? I know. Well, now that is just, you know, you're trying to rent your property to somebody else and, you know, somebody being a criminal, you know, turning your apartment into a meth lab might be an issue. Purple (laughs) Martians. Exactly. (laughs) Store in Oregon has now closed their doors after being robbed 15 times in the last year and a half. Man. She has finally given up. She says that, you know, after she keeps rebuilding the store, putting the stuff back in, insurance only covers so much, so she keeps having to come out of pocket, and every time she rebuilds the store, somebody breaks in, steals again, so she's, like, closing it. But this is, you know, this has been kind of the, of course, you know, in Portland, Oregon, this was kind of ground zero for a lot of the Antifa riots, those type of things. Portland resident Marcy Landolfo finally hit a breaking point. This week marked the 15th break-in in her PDX store within a year and a half in the city. She says that simply she cannot afford to keep repairing and rebuilding proper, the property, and it just no longer makes sense to keep operating there. Paying for glass, this is her quote, paying for glass, that's great, but that's just the surface and does nothing for the root cause of the problem. So, you know... Again, you know, we keep making these efforts to decriminalize criminalization, but maybe that's one of the things that we should think about because this has economic impacts, right? You know, if you take a look at what's happened in a lot of these cities where crime has kind of run amok now, um, companies like CVS, as an example, or and Walgreens closing stores. If you're not going to stop the looters... I'm losing too much inventory. Yes, I have insurance that will replace this, but, you know, again, doesn't make sense after a while. So they close these stores. And the problem with closing these stores is that it, for people that live in those communities, they need these stores. They need access to these stores. They need to go get their medications. They need to go get, you know, their, their uh, sundries, whatever they are. And so the more these things happen... The more stores move out of these these areas, which leave places, you know, without proper support. You know, we have what's in Houston, and there was a there was a kind of a push a few years ago about these what's called a food desert. A food desert is an area of town where there's no local grocery store. So, in other words, not and, and what what they mean by that doesn't mean there's not a grocery store. Period. Um, but you might, it's not within a reasonable distance. You might have to drive five miles or whatever to get to a grocery store. And this is why wherever you live, if you notice where you live, there's a grocery store that's probably pretty close to you in, in most cases. Within two miles, there's a grocery store, probably multiples of grocery stores. You know, there's a Kroger's, a Randall's, an HEB, all in the same corner, right? But that's because when these communities are being developed and, and as, as developers develop communities, they make spots for these grocery stores because convenience is a very important thing, but these food deserts are important. 
And so there was a push here in Houston a while back to try to solve some of these problems with these food deserts. But again, you know, companies are only going to locate their businesses in places where there is relative safety and relative prosperity for them, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you can say, I have a right to a grocery store. You can say that. Doesn't mean you actually do, but you can say you have a right to anything. I have a right to this or that or the thing. We can all say we have rights. Doesn't mean you actually have those rights, but you know, you have privileges is what you have. But if you if if an area is not conducive for profitability of that business, the safety of its of its employees or its customers, that business will move. And this is one thing that kind of eludes a lot of these individuals that kind of promote more of these socialistic ideas. And again, this is, is one of the problems that we have. And again, the store in, in, in Portland is a good example of this, is that these socialist ideas don't promote economic prosperity. And again, the one thing that we're all hinged on is economic prosperity. Capitalism economic opportunity, those are the things that create wealth. And those are the things that create capitalistic opportunities within the economy so that you can can expand your wealth. You know, there's a lot of these um, articles and, and stories about individuals that have come to this country with two nickels in their pockets and they've made, you know, big fortunes. Started a business from scratch, worked, enslaved. They were overnight successes and only took 20 years, right? And, and these are, those are the opportunities that capitalism provides. But if we make decisions that undermines those capitalistic tendencies or, or capitalistic capabilities, I should say, then it provides an economic disincentive, which reduces capitalism and then ultimately reduces economic wealth and prosperity. And this is going to be a challenge that, unfortunately, our children and our children's children are going to have to continue to deal with. We can, we can all make decisions that, and vote for individuals that we put into office that will give us free things. Free things sound great until you realize that somebody has to pay for them. My daughter's starting to figure this out. When she gets her paycheck, more and more tax dollars are going away. And she hasn't even gotten into the real working world yet, right? These are, these are all kind of part-time jobs that my kids are doing right now to pay bills and make ends meet. But they haven't even gotten out into the real world yet to where they get their paycheck and there's, you know, FUTA, Social Security, Medicare, <laughs> your health care benefits, you know, all these things getting taken out of your paycheck. And, you know, it's like, wow, you know, I'm getting paid, you know, $2,000 this week, you know, because that's my monthly pay, whatever it is. And then they get their checks, like your gross is 2000 your net is 1200 Like Where'd all my money go? I got to pay for bills. Got to pay for rent. And these are, these are the problems. All right, and, they, and these, are, these are the things that are impacting right now more than anything else. And again, you know, all these things that we did back in 2020, 2021 with, you know, easing up, restrictions, um, putting moratoriums on paying for mortgages and rent, putting moratoriums on paying for student loan debt, 
all those are fine. But the bill eventually comes due. And you haven't done anything. Yes, I gave you some relief temporarily by saying you don't have to pay for these things now. But individuals aren't saving up their money for when that bill eventually comes due. And what nobody's telling anybody is that that bill is accruing interest. Yeah, you're not having to make the payment on student loans, but the interest is still accruing. So eventually, at some point, you got to start paying the bill. But nobody's saving up any money to get there. And so this all has an economic backlash as we move out into time. Again, we, we pull forward consumption. Look, if I give Brent, I say, Brent, you don't have to pay your rent this month. So what does Brent do? Brent says, awesome. Now, he doesn't take the $2,000 for his rent payment or whatever it is and stick it in the bank for the future. He spends his $2,000. So now he's got a new flat screen television and a new Xbox. Right, whatever. Why are you laughing? I know you're a big gamer. I don't do Xbox. <laughs> oh, you're a PlayStation guy. Got it. And I would put it in the savings account. <laughs> yeah, you would. <laughs> I'm no fun. Because, because you're old, that's why. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Might need it for medications. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so for most people, they spend the money. And then eventually the bill comes due and they go, well, I don't have the money. But I got all this other stuff. Right. And so this is the problem. We, and, and by giving and this is what we call pull forward consumption. By not having to spend the money today, I buy things that I wouldn't have bought otherwise. If I didn't have my if, I, if my if my rent wasn't suspended, I wouldn't have bought the Xbox and the flat screen television. I would have paid my rent. So I pull forward consumption, and this is one of the things that we still have yet to deal with is the pull forward consumption in the economy that we did over the last couple of years. There's these expectations that economic growth is going to continue, and, and again, even with, with Goldman Sachs, even though they're not forecasting a recession next year, they are expecting a resurgence of economic growth, very strong economic growth following that. So we have this little slowdown and then a big resurgence of economic growth. The problem is that we've already pulled forward all this consumption. Where's the capital going to come from for this resurgence of economic growth? Consumers are tapped out. They've run up their credit card debts. They've gone into these buy now, pay later programs, et cetera. Where is the additional revenue going to come from to create the growth so again you know it's all about policies at the end of the day things that we choose to do stimulus payments decriminalization of activities we just want to make things better for everybody sounds great just remember there's a cost for all these things and unfortunately we haven't realized in full potentially what those costs are going to be just yet. All right, wraps up the show for the day. Get by the website. Our latest newsletter is out. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. Be back here tomorrow. Three minutes of markets and money coming up here as we kick off a brand new trading week right here. realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.